Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. How is your afternoon? Well, yeah, just I just uh, I feel like it was morning just two hours ago, <laughs> which it was. Um, no, I just got back from my parents' house, visited them. They're in, inside my bubble. We talked. Are they about, uh, in a cabin? No, like they're remotely, sort of? they're in the city right now. They have a they have a place they go to, but it's getting too cold and uh, in the country. But uh, they don't have water. Canada is the perfect know. country. They're just waiting for global warming to make it a little better. That's right. Yeah, I don't know if you saw Saturday Night Live this week, but they did like a Canadian news. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll <it> was, take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everything, but it, the best joke in the the sketch is like. Everything in Canada is just 25% different. Like, why is everything 25% different the same but slightly different? Um, yeah. And I think that would be true for weather, too. Like, it's probably just 25% colder than New York City. <laughs> yeah. where I'm at. Um, but, yeah. That's a, that, oh, man, that's, it's really uh, nice the, the, the last few weeks. Is it's it been? really perfect. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it, in the summer, I was like, oh, I hate this. Let's move to Amsterdam. Fuck this shit. And I'm like, oh, oh wow. You were so swearing. That's big for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what have you been and, doing? Uh, like walk, you... walking around and looking at boarded up shops and stuff? Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, dog walks now. Oh, yes. The dog. Uh, is it growing? Uh, but the, uh, the, the shops in our neighborhood are okay. I think we live in a real neighborhood and not a tourist neighborhood. Oh, right. Yeah. Because basically any of the neighborhoods were dependent on commuter or tourist. Yeah. And also the neighborhoods that that were mostly rich people that also have a home outside of New York. Mm -hmm. Those are devastated. The shops around there. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, But it uh, seems less bleak than you think than with the news and et cetera. It feels like you run into people and I'm like, oh, you stayed. Yeah, I stayed. And it's not so bad. Well, yeah, I I don't know. Like, sometimes I'll get busy and I'll forget it's a pandemic because it's just like the work hasn't changed, you know? And then you're like, oh, I wonder how things are. you're a software company. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you look up and you're like, oh, yeah, things are still not great. Have you guys talked about uh, sort of having a flexible office and having physical meetings? Or is that not necessary? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, that talk started as things were like softening in the summer. But it's very quickly gone as things have spiked back up again. But have have the uh, have there been talks about letting the lease go and getting rid of the office? No, actually, I just um, I just put in an order for a new sign for the side of the building. So oh. I think like everyone has there's sort of this this idea that by next summer, you know, we'll kind of start to drift yeah, yeah, back yeah. to something. I don't think anyone. But but it's it's, it's not so. Uh, efficient this way of working that everybody's like oh let's save the money and get rid of the office uh i think that there's there there is like there are benefits and everyone's like we're definitely going to do more remote work but there is a definite fatigue and a feeling of like disconnection that people are struggling keep morale yeah yeah and i think all these companies that were like we're going to be remote only forever what i know from um companies that were remote before the pandemic is they still did these like major events at least once a year where everyone got together and you know yeah. spared no expense because you know you want to have these moments of connect physical you know connection face to face and that that the research precedes this like you know 30 40 years like i, I was one of my first jobs was yeah but a, but but still like a, let's say you're paying uh whatever 
5% of your revenue is rent for the office space or 10% or whatever. It doesn't matter. You could throw a lot of remote parties for that money. Well, one thing I can tell you is yeah, the mar labor market is shifting and people are like starting to outbid one another for remote jobs. So people are moving jobs now because they feel safe enough to do so. And the salary... Yeah. Kind of salaries getting thrown around. This is just from my own anecdotal position, though, seem a little bit higher, to be honest with you. So there is like some people might be taking that on and like saying, hey, we can do this for less. But there yep. there are other costs, right? Like, um, like I just mentioned. You and it do seems to, like, the, yeah, it seems know, like the company should, the should pay for the home office use of the employees. Yeah, and they all are starting to, to turn that corner. Like we, I think we do like 50 bucks a month is. Um, yeah, but that's nothing. Like if you're using a <laughs> quarter true. of your Compared to like an office space, it's true. No, yeah. because I, I, I'm, I'm self-employed, so I can deduct uh, about 25% of the rent. Yep. Uh, yep. Which is fair. Like I'm actually using that space, so why isn't it a cost for my company? And then, if you're working as an employee, then your employer should pay that, and that's not happening. Yeah, not yet. I think though that the like I said, the competition is heating up. So one thing I know is true, at yeah. least in tech, is that there's not enough really good people um, for the growth rate in the industry, and so there's a lot of like poaching that goes on. It's very, of, it's very specialized when you think about it. It's, it's hard to be a truck driver and then convert to a coder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think for the top 10% of employees, like there is going to be, there's going to be like different perks. No one's looking for beer fridges anymore, for sure. Like, no, exactly. You know, it used yeah. to be ping pong tables and beer fridges. It now just seems like such a waste to pay all this rent when you could be doing other cool, flexible things that are not tied to having a, a flagship location. Well, no doubt. I think foot, future footprints will be reduced, but don't forget leases are are usually 10 years, yeah. five years at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. And another <clears throat> current topic uh, before we switch to the Bond movie, but uh, mm. the, are you getting the new iPhone? Yes, yes, I am. Because <laughs> I know you love the LiDAR. I love. It's only because of the LiDAR. That's the weird thing. Like, no one talks about it. And then it's like, oh, I've been waiting for it's LiDAR It's kind of on a big phone. deal, right? It's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, but no one talks because about it. Because it, I, I, I want to talk about it because Bond is such an accelerator for uh, desire and, and consumerism and gadgets. And hmm. it it seems like everything in every Bond movie is now possible just in the phone. <laughs> yes. Well, this movie especially is kind of comical that way because being set in Silicon Valley. But yeah, like the LiDAR, yeah, exactly. what, what it represents is like what Apple's doing is... Um, I'm sure you're familiar. It's like being a dolphin. Like you, all of a sudden, you can you have an extra organ. Well, they're like testing new technologies, at, at scale for uh, like a future of augmented reality as a platform, right? So, lidar is this huge step toward real time mapping of the geometry of our environments necessary for you to you know kind of interact and affix objects to. The space around you and bodies around you. One thing that's interesting is obviously I did this augmented reality show. I think I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, but in Berlin, it's closing next week. But we used like we brought, you know, we bought an iPad for the gallery with LiDAR. And I didn't have a LiDAR device to test on. Like I was like, ah, I don't know if I need it. So we got it for the opening or whatever. But of was course, really you interesting never buy anything for yourself. I know. <laughs> Even I put it into the grant. I was like, I don't know. Do I really need it? Um, and I was like, well, they're going to bring it to the phone. Then I can kill two birds with one stone. Anyway, but what's interesting is the LiDAR it definitely changes um, AR in a relatively big way, but it's not completely functional yet. 
But what it does is it enables like multiple planes of occlusion. Yeah. So someone can walk in front of a virtual object or a virtual yeah, object yeah, yeah. can intersect with the wall. But several of the sculptures I made were kind of interesting because like they were bigger than the gallery. And so it, they like <laughs> burst through the walls. It was really interesting. Yeah. Um, but the, the one yeah. thing that I think is still hard with LIDAR is for it to recognize, let's say you, you, you put a coffee table on top of another table and it becomes mm-hmm. a weird sculpture. And then is that one object or are those two objects? And, and, uh, well, there, yeah, yeah. I, I, the resolution I was of make, it's not great. I, I was trying to make an app where it kind of abstracts all the objects in the room. And then mm-hmm. you can't, with only LiDAR information, separate like, oh, that's the chair, that's the couch, that's the coffee table. Like, th- that's well, really hard to understand. Now with, so some people have done machine learning with LiDAR. So. Yeah, kind of. But but if, if there's like a bunch of plants also and a bunch of uh, <laughs> sculptures. Your hair is in front it, of the it, camera. It complicated. <laughs> No, you're right. Yeah, like those yeah, errors yeah. were visible it, in it's shots from my show. But it's funny. It's something you. What What I'm trying to say is, it's something I never thought about. As an artist, you look at the world and then you start drawing lines, which is a very uh, has nothing to do with reality. Drawing mm-hmm. lines when you think about it. Yeah. Like you, you see a car and then you start drawing two circles for the wheels, and that's not how the world works. There, there, lines are a conceptual human idea they don't exist in real life well what i thought you were going to do you know is is talk about also like perspective um a single point perspective. i'm talking about lines are really when you're starting to draw as a child you're just like separating symbols like that's a tiger that's a castle whatever it's artificial though and yeah and and the world is quite blurry and made of dots or like uh, well light uh, and dark stains yeah yeah and 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 so I never thought about it, but then when you have LiDAR, you're just shooting points into space, and it's like, okay, well, there's something two meters away, there's something 2.1 meters away, but in the raw data, it has no clue about what it is, whether those things are one being or separate beings. Oh, yeah, in some ways Because really, when you, like when, you th- when you think about it, if you would uh, shoot LiDAR onto a pair of jeans, it could be like, well, all those fibers are separate objects. This is not one pair of pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one of the things I thought was kind of interesting, like there is that book, Drawing on the Right Side of Your Brain or whatever, that was that old classic, Drawing with the Right Side of Your Brain, where it's like, you know, turn the, the thing upside down, um, but you have to learn to unsee outlines, right? Yeah. Like just see yeah. light and dark and color. If you're going to become a great painter or you know, do life drawing or whatever. If you become, if you want to be a human camera. But, you know, one of the things I find interesting about LiDAR, all these technologies is time of flight technologies is it's a single point of origin. And the history of painting and drawing was also the history of like, you know, this idea of like a horizon line and perspective yeah. and there being. And then David Hockney was always fighting that, that his, his MO was, well, we move around a room. We're not standing still. And so that's why he he did a lot of weird perspective ideas where he would take a camera and scan the room just just take hundreds of photos to yeah. to create one image of a room or or a space or a landscape uh because the way we see things is is very animated it's yeah. we're not sitting still and well, yeah, you just even described, if you're sitting um, still you're moving your eyes around and you just described pho- photogrammetry right which is the idea that yeah. you need multiple points of origin to create like the the actual image of the room but that's the problem with LiDAR yeah. is it's still, you have to move around in order to get the fidelity of the room to actually yeah. work, right? So there's all these so errors I, that get introduced. I have a tough choice to make because I really like the size of the 
iPhone mini, but it doesn't have LiDAR. No, no LiDAR. Raphael, it's a non-starter. You're an yeah. artist. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think you're fine. The other thing you could do is the iPad Pro released last spring has LiDAR, and that's cheaper than even the bottom of the line iPhone, I think. I think oh, no, it's not. Yeah. It's around, it's a grand, I think. It's all really, yeah, yeah, really expensive. Yeah. These are expensive toys. But I was like, you don't get a grant every every like year where there's lidar written Jeremy, into the please grant. please stop pretending you're poor it's just it's not it's not <laughs> it's real it's not a good look, it's, not a good look. no it's it's kind of kind of gross yeah. yeah okay all right I, I i mean like you said when your parents started a side business it's better not to have a profit that's right you don't, you don't want to make money yeah yeah. So, would you rather give your money to Trudeau or enjoy it yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather help the world. Don't put me in yeah, this yeah, position. Yeah. It's my mom versus like charitable. My mom is the least yeah, charitable yeah. person, <laughs> but she's like a refugee entrepreneur, right? So she's got like. But this... all this, all this being said, the world of gadgets and cool things and aspiration, and then we arrive at James Bond. Well, in this James Bond film, yeah, regardless of the new iPhones, was made at a time where Silicon Valley was becoming the site for the ne- you know for the iPhone, right? So yeah. it had taken over people's imaginations already. By and this is 1985 as the center yeah. of the technical maybe, maybe universe. Maybe we can we can uh, explain a little bit this, this the plot of this Bond movie. It's it's basically like every Bond movie. There's a villain. Uh, Christopher James Walken. Bond is. A, yeah, and James Grace Bond Jones. is a secret agent, and he's, Roger the first scene is, uh, yeah, the first scene is he's skiing, is being chased by the Russians. They were the enemy at the time, and then his skis break and it becomes a snowboard. And then they play the Beach Boys song, and uh, he goes in a submarine that looks like a rock. And by the way, before we move escapes. on from the snowboard thing, at that time, I was a snowboarder. Even though I was only six years old. In 85? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my brother, like, wow. was one of the first snowboarders in Canada. He, yeah, that like, was new then. Huh? He petitioned to have, like, a the ski resort, like, allow him to to actually use their resort. Like, just, like, a small hill near our, our, our place. And they were like, no, it's like, you know, that's, like, bad. It, it was it was still considered, like, yeah, something we, that was, like... Yeah, we're classy. We only ski. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There was a class division between skiing and snowboarding. And I remember seeing and the movie... And he's like, I'm cool skater dude on the snow. But I rem- remember seeing that movie and being like, that's not even a real snowboard. How cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> and what is he wearing? A ski suit? That's not what snowboarders yeah, play, wear. His clothes are too they tight. They California Girls, but that song by the Beach Boys, but yeah. it's actually a tribute band that's playing it. <laughs> <laughs> that said, I love the opening sequence of this film it's like i yeah. don't know why it, yeah. i love the oh idea you mean like, all the all the all the neon makeup on the girls and the photography well not just that but then the snow stuff like just like skiing and shooting for some reason is a great combination yeah. and then duran duran is one of your favorite bands of course yeah yeah so this, what, what's not to like is it but it, just to get through the plot really quick oh yeah, sorry um, you're almost finished uh, no no it's okay <laughs> there's there's horse racing somebody fixed the horse races with the implanting chips into the horses so they can get hormones slowly and they're undetectable that doesn't even make any sense i don't even know why why that was in the movie it's It's just a little high tech and a little uh, upper class just just, you know right Uh, he's infiltrating then there's the eiffel tower there's mayday who's played by grace jones there's zoran who's played by christopher walken he's the villain he has a master plan he was created by scientist from world war ii who wanted to create a superhuman being and he's also psychotic 
He's very mean and very intelligent. But then his plot is to create a, uh, an earthquake. An, an earthquake that is undetectable as a crime. It would just look like an earthquake that would destroy Silicon Valley. So he can rule the microprocessor market around the world. Yeah, he wants uh, the Europeans course, to basically take back control of their like yeah dominance and. and it, one thing I found very funny is that at the time they were actually producing the actual hardware in the U.S. It, it wasn't offshored yet. So that, actually, that I should it, correct. It, like he's European, but he's working with the Russians, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it, it's just very funny. Like we take it for granted that everything, the ideas are made in the U.S. and, and the design is done in the U.S. and then everything is produced in China. Mm-hmm. But at that and time, everything was it, made it, in the U.S., right? Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine that they had just had assembly lines and Americans working. And mm-hmm. It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess in the film, because he would have destroyed all the factories. They don't talk about destroying the design studios. No. <laughs> They're no. like, the actual oh factories, my God, where yeah. are they going to make the nest? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but but in the, the Bond uh, franchise, this is kind of, uh, Roger Moore was kind of old. He was 57. Um, I, I just read some anecdotes. No, so no. He, apparently, he, he was, was kinda, too old. He was considered too old at the yeah, time, even. Yeah, he was. He was shocked at the time that he was uh, making out with Bond girls for the movie, and he realized he was older than their mom. That's always like, been oh. something in Bond movies that's upsetting. Yeah. Like, yeah, and so it seems to thing. be like one of the places where it's still allowed. Like for old, I don't know. It's not really allowed, but yeah. I don't and know. then the the other funny then. thing about the movie is that the villain. They wanted David Bowie for the villain, and he's like, "Oh, I don't want to say a few lines and then wait five months for my stunt double to do all kinds of stuff that sounds boring." Yeah. Then they asked Sting and they asked Rutger Hauer. They all said no, and then Christopher Walken said yes, and he's my favorite Bond villain for sure. I mean, Christopher Walken was he? He was an upstart at the time, right? He was relatively new, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. it, it, I think he's such a like the the cowbell SNL sketch in. But I heard something He's like Roger Roger Moore didn't figure. didn't Roger Moore didn't like him or didn't like how his character behaved like it wasn't it didn't live it up was to the too values immoral, the, the yeah. villain yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the values of Bond didn't match I was like what are they talking about it's well, the, usually like yeah usually the whole reason I wanted to, to bring up this movie the whole reason I wanted to bring up this movie I, they showed it at Metrograph which uh, rest in peace uh, the, the the cool movie theater here it's closing I hope they will survive I don't know. Mm. I mean, they'll be without revenue for a year. That's yeah, but I figure every tough. every institution in New York has a wealthy patron behind the scenes. It's like, don't worry, yeah, we got this. Probably, and, and they probably have a deal with the landlord, and like, yeah. But uh, hopefully, they come back. But they they showed it because it's such a weird Bond movie because the villain is so terrible. It, it, there's a scene where he has all these workers in the mine with, that have to install all the explosives to start the earthquake. Which makes no and sense. they're done with their job, and he just takes out his machine gun and shoots all his employees, and he's laughing. And then someone's like, "What are you doing? Those men are loyal to you." <laughs> yeah, like and he's like, "Right on time." Right. Yeah, he's like loyal. <laughs> yeah. well, who cares? Um, yeah. And the way he shoots is similar to uh, last week's incident, where it's like th- this rant. Like, what is with movies and these like people that just spray bullets randomly um, without any? Like, they don't look through the sights or. I'm not a gun guy, but like a little aiming wouldn't hurt. You know? <laughs> One thing I've also noticed yeah. in these older movies when they shoot is that either the squib technology, you know, that like explodes the blood wasn't there yet. 
but there's never any blood. The people are just kind of like falling no. over. It's That's what I, one of the main themes I want to talk about is is uh, how certain movie tropes age. So the, there's the movie trope that when you punch someone, they're knocked out and they don't get back up and they're like out cold for about an hour. That, oh, that yeah. was movie reality. So that you can time. get them to another place where they're like locked up. Yeah, like you didn't have to kill everybody. You just punch them once and then they, like there's a guard yeah. and it would be cruel for James Bond to kill the guard. So he punches the guard, he lays down on the floor and you he go karate chops his again. neck. He's like... Yeah, and it's always a perfect, uh, like it's always perfect in the sense that they don't get really get hurt but they're out for a while. Yeah. And another movie trope at the time is this weird shooting randomly and, and there's the other movie trope is that the hero has a handgun Mm-hmm. And there's about 20 uh, oh, enemies yeah. with machine guns, and they just shoot all over the place. And then he shoots three times, and it's that's it. Yeah, it's done, yeah. That's how yeah. it, it plays so it, out in video games still to this day, though. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the it, this movie did have a, some strong female characters, but overall it's kind of sexist. But Grace Jones uh, was kind of a Yeah, so Grace Jones, though, hero. Was, a, was added to make the film cool. And she was like model obviously she was a singer and she had just started and kind acting. of an androgynous figure and yeah. it's very strong physically and i think she had been in some action movies prior to this movie um so she was like starting to get into you know this kind and i wanted to bring this up but like this i i don't think it existed much prior to this time but the idea except there are some exceptions but the idea of someone who can be a goat like kind of do everything the idea of a celebrity brand and she was doing like yeah. citroen ads you sent me that one that's such a classic where she comes yeah, out yeah. of a metal head in a citroen or like laser eyes and stuff like well I, I was curious from from your point of view if it, this movie came across as like oh this could never be made nowadays it's too sexist or that you think though there are some elements that were progressive at the time and mm, i mean i don't think it's sexist so much as like old fashioned and you still when you still see this plot played out on like you know Netflix stuff whenever they want to show you some heteronormative plot it's like male hero rescues woman in in situation like you know of despair or you know yeah crisis yeah. like they're hanging from an, the edge of a cliff or something and you still see those stupid tropes the thought that came to me though regardless of that like if you strip that away was actually based on the editing and the plot and how stunts, especially when you watch the credits, were actually scenes. And they're kind of just strung together as like, okay, stunt scene one, stunt scene two, stunt scene three. And you could see they organized the whole film around each set series of stunts. So it was like an yeah, action yeah. film that was not about the plot so much. And I well, even, that's why David Bowie didn't want to do it. He's oh, really? like, this movie is 70% stunts. Okay, yeah. When you look at it, though, the stunts are also hilariously miscoordinated with the primary photography. So it'll be, yeah. like, <laughs> it'll be like, you know, like someone falling from 50 stories and then cut to close up. And like, there's no middle shot or there's the, the it's yeah. always just two shots close up. Well, and some crazy stunt shot. And the stunt shot it's, always it's funny because this was a big right. budget movie at the time. Like people would go to this movie and be like, whoa, there was so much action and blah, blah, blah. But now... Yeah. By today's standards, uh, it well, looks like a really cheap student film. Well, I was trying to pull out, yeah, exactly. What was it? And it's like the stunt shots, the camera doesn't often move. The rig is often like fixed. And because it's like, oh, got to get the camera way back from the explosion. <laughs> it's like, anyway, yeah. so uh, there's enough of that. And then there's even some scenes where you can see they've, 
not even used a stunt person. They've just dropped like a mannequin. Like when he drops onto the boat, (laughs) the cut, like the cutting between is so badly done. But then I realized, but it's all practical effects. There's no, there's no VFX. I think the, the, the counter argument is like, okay, you can, you can really see it's a movie. You can see the fakeness, but at the same time, the acting, it seems everyone at the time was just on cocaine on set. Nothing was (laughs) controlled. No one was playing in front of a green screen. Um, So it it does feel thrilling in a in a weird way. Even though you know, there's the scenes where he's on the fire truck and they're driving around, and you can see it's a green screen and etc. Well, it's not even a green screen. It's actually a film playing in the background. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you see the edges around him are fake. Yeah. The lighting is weird. But if you compare it to modern Bond movies, everything's so well done that it's kind of dull. And then they they yeah. also have to add this. At the time, spying was about. Uh, getting your hands on physical documents, mm-hmm. so taking a microfilm photo of, right. a, of a hidden, and, and or copying a key, a physical key with a bit of clay and this kind of stuff. And now the Bond franchise is kind of in trouble because mm-hmm. spying now is just digital. So then they have to come up with all these stunts, but nobody's trying to get a disc somewhere because you don't have <laughs> discs anymore. All you could, you know, yeah, it's all virtualized. Like there's that one. Yeah, scene so how even- can you? Yeah, that, you have to run to catch a password or something. Can you describe yeah. what happened? Because I didn't quite get it. In the movie, there's like this scene where he's like at the cocktail party in the backyard and he's wearing those glasses, those sunglasses. And he kind of like, there's two like focusing rings on them and it allows him to like <laughs> see through the window in a weird way. Like what's happening there? Did you, do you remember that scene? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I feel like in a lot of Bond movies, he meets Q and Q gives him gadgets and explains what the gadgets do. Mm-hmm. But we you know that he he goes to the storage room where they have all the inventions and then but that didn't happen in like, this oh film. no exactly so normally they explain all the gadgets and maybe that that scene went wrong or they cut it out or <laughs> okay. whatever but it felt like there was some missing information there's a lot yeah there were there but were a few I, moments I, like I just that. thought this movie was so much fun it's just yeah. such a fun and I kept okay. seeing it I'm like oh Jeremy's probably gonna hate but no of no, things no that were said and done there and, there is a like, like it's goofy like there are times where like yeah. that that scene where he's driving the car and the car gets like loses its roof and then it loses the back <laughs> of the car and he's still driving <laughs> and they like they it's deadpan like they don't and you can you know they that people watching it, out no. the theater they're laughing hysterically then in the fire truck scene he's get you know he's rotating around on the on the ladder and then he the he accidentally like his legs dangle over a convertible car and takes like two hats off of people. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, at the, at that point with the, with the fire truck chase, it felt like Naked Gun. Like that, yeah, exactly. That That's right. Like it, he's so, kind of a Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. But as I understand it, Roger Moore was always this like cheeky, more humorous Bond. He's always been the funniest Bond. Yeah. And then there was the Sean. Obviously, the Sean Connery was the more serious. Like you know, well, Sean Connery's Bond. like he wanted to get married to one of the Bond girls, and then she dies, and he's like, oh, I can never get anything, and I'm sad. Yeah. yeah. Who's your favorite Bond, though, in, in the history of Bond? Well, this is my favorite Bond movie, for sure. Is it? Oh, okay. Like, I was yeah, wondering why you picked this one. So, is it because of a childhood memory? What is it? No, it's. I just saw it at Metrograph, but I, I thought all the other Bond movies are kind of predictable and whatever, and I thought this one was just a lot of fun. Hmm. And I, I love Christopher Walken, because my whole problem with the uh, woke culture is that you just have to continually look at things being done well in a moral 
it's it's just uninteresting when someone says these people are in need let's help them and create a better life and i'd rather watch a villain kill people for no reason Mm, i didn't think you were gonna go there but like because the film seems like so out of touch that i don't even what i mean is like bond movies were made to have live in a fantasy world that doesn't exist and Mm -hmm. uh it's not about like watching Mother Teresa help people. But do you think Bond movies have become more self-aware? Like, I mean, even yeah, in this movie, sure. though, like well, Roger, everything has. Yeah. There's interracial love between Roger Moore and Grace Jones, which I thought I think probably was even a little bit progressive for the time. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. But uh, I, you know, there is a Bond movie that's supposed to come out this year um, and has been delayed twice, and they've decided not to release it. Because Bond movies are supposed to be the most profitable. It's like one of the most profitable franchises. So it's like, you know, the timing of a release and what goes into it. Like this movie is a good example of Bond shifting into that mode of production because like the Duran Duran song that you mentioned a few times was actually is the first time a song from a movie um, from a Bond movie made it into the top. 10 and it was like the f- number one song that, that that year right so yeah and this was also it, i mean there's so much wrong with consumerism obviously and uh I'm, i don't think i'm a big consumer also but there's something about the 80s that was such a celebration of design and advertising that is mm. kind of thrilling and i think duran duran embodied that, that the it was like the rap fantasy. music era of white people yeah, like you remember that Rio <laughs> terrible video joke where they're, they're on a yacht and yeah, they're on a yacht and they drink neon colored cocktails underwater and it, and it's just kind of goofy and and aspirational and yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely felt like Naked Gun, but Naked Gun didn't come out yeah. until the nineties, right? Yeah, our and our our listeners might not even be familiar with Naked Gun because it was like of a moment but it was like but the it, spoof of james bond one thing that i want to say is that if you want fiction and art and all these things when i say i love a bad guy killing people for no reason it's not that i think that people should be killed for no reason and i feel like that today's world it seems that people uh, are so um on their high horse or whatever, that they expect fiction and everything to also fit with their morality. The morality has become so important that, of course, you want better health care for people. It doesn't mean you want to make a movie about, like, So you're just saying, like, fighting. Bond was about, the, like, was from a simpler time, and it's like, no, evil, no, no, evil no, was no. like the I, Russians I think, and... I think, no, no, no. I think the Bond movies before and after were more serious. I think this was a very silly like most Bond villains actually had a reason they wouldn't kill someone just for fun like, mm. I think Christopher Walken in this movie is kind of outrageous I'm looking at um, like the history of all the Bond movies here just on Google while we're chatting yeah but mostly a, a classic Bond villain is frustrated with the world and he's like what if we just uh, kill half the people and then there's more room for the other half sort of that, that kind of villain but still sort of ideological but it's always like Bond one, is like um you you've done it again james you like you went overboard we told you to be discreet and you like you've cost us millions like he's the yeah 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 Yeah, you you were supposed to have a quiet meeting with this person and you (laughs) blew up the whole neighborhood yeah Yeah. exactly you're gonna cost the agency a fortune but but what i mean is that with this idea of of uh, culture having to have a moral standing or point of view do do you know what i'm getting at or like 
Do you feel like it's important for but art I think, to be uh, well, morally I think sound? My my counterpoint would be at the time, like um, when Bond started in the 1960s, um, started becoming popular, I guess. Or I'm looking at when the first Bond came out, around early 60s, like 1962 kind of thing. Um, the Cold War was the politic of that era. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, for Bond represented actually a political point of view that, you know, there was two ideologies competing for the world's attention. And don't forget, McCarthyism in the United States was a real thing where... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So I'm not talking about those Bond... I'm not talking about the whole Bond franchise. And mm. I'm talking about this one in particular. I'm talking about a movie... That was gone. Well, I'm like it wasn't about 80s though. action movies. Yeah. But 1985, the Russians. So at that time, politically speaking, anyway, like Russia is starting to kind of fall apart at the seams, but it hasn't yet. And no one really predicted 1989 when when Russia did, you know, when the Iron Curtain did fall. So, you mm-hmm. know, I, like even though it's funny, it's coded ideological material that, yeah, like, yeah. if you were yeah, Russian watching it or Eastern German at the time, you'd be like. What is this American propaganda, right? Like, there's a yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot baked in. Yeah, there that, it, it, that is. I remember being a kid and seeing movies like uh, Rambo or Dirty Harry, and I had no idea those were political <laughs> right, manifestos. Yeah. And Rambo came out at the exact I, same time as this movie, actually. Yeah, and I, I had no idea. Like, those were just cult movies. Like, look at those Americans; they live in a fantasy world, but it's just fantasy, and you don't realize that. Like, half the country is like, yeah, that's the way you solve a problem. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like it, and what's interesting to me about this film in regards to it being based in Silicon Valley is early on the culture in Silicon Valley was this culture of move fast and break things. And when I think of move fast and break things, I think of the, the like character James Bond as like quintessentially that male bro, right? Like that came in and was like, yeah, Hey, I'm going to like get the job done and then I'm going to have sex with your sister and deal with it. (laughs) And that, that did lead to like, culture that we have now around toxic masculinity it wasn't seen that way though to your point i think you're making a great point which is like at the time that was just like that was a celebration let's just look at that it boys will be and it's also the the myth of the rule breaker so (laughs) there are people who do it by the book and then there's james bond yeah he breaks a few buildings and he breaks a few rules and he's not supposed to but he does get it done now i will say this as well is that like it was not at all saccharine and no one would like i was watching something with Kristen last night and she was like I was like, what did you think? And I, I thought it was pretty good. She's like, I think it's saccharine. Like, it's too easy. Like, it was trying to ple- check too many boxes. And so there was no confusing, like, the drama of um, Bond with anything meaningful. And I think that's yeah. where your your point lies and is probably best, which is, like, people went to the f- movies for an escape. And this film yeah, did, exactly. it, yeah. did its absolute most to make it impossible for you to come out of the movie not having had a good time or feeling triggered, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, what I mean, maybe unless you're is a that woman, I think is probably the, docu- the serious documentaries that bring issues to light that were hidden before, and they have their role mm-hmm. and they're important. That I don't think the Bond movies have the, have that role. So I think it's okay sometimes to. But I would put this in like if you read um, a friend of mine works at this company called Wattpad, and like it's a you know it's a writing platform and the predominant style of writing on this platform, which is user generated is this kind of like romantic fantasy and the romantic fantasy has the archetype, you know, like the various archetypes we know cast in situations that, like you said earlier, we kind of like desire, but no, aren't real. I think that that's probably where the genre lies, right. Is in this like 
sort of meta reality where it's okay to be sexist. It's okay to blow things up and kill people because it's all in the pursuit of a good time. And so, yeah, you you kind of, it might've also been a little bit like this movie came out after the end of the seventies, which was very politically charged. Mm -hmm. And so this might've been a reaction to that. Well, the whole eighties were, I think a lot of, a lot of folks talk about, you know, my parents and your parents, you know, sold out their former selves from the 1960s and 70s. Yeah, yeah. And because they burnt out in the 70s on the amount of sort of, you know, like the actual counter protest of the Vietnam War, right? It was was just a lot of energy went in. And finally, they're like, okay, let's just have a good time and spend money, right? Like the 80s come around. My mom often talks about the 80s as like the best time of her life. And that from like, (laughs) until the recession, right? But like from like 80 to 85 like and this movie falls right in 85 before like recessions in 87 it was just like finally we get to just release and And be ourselves when you think about like fashion and architecture in japan in the 80s and poster design in the 80s and product design and a lot of things was furniture design a lot of things were very bold and outspoken and Mm -hmm. whether you like them or not they were quite inventive and and it's not like not that this James Bond movie, all the interiors are modern or postmodern, but you, the, even the intro of this movie was like women with neon color makeup, and as far as like being playful, and uh, there was a special era for that, I think. Yeah, I mean James Bond still tries to play with those aesthetics somehow. I mean, I guess they've been muted. Um, yeah, like, but the number, I, I think as a child, probably I was like, wow, I've never seen so many silhouettes of nipples before. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this is a real education on the curves of a, the human body. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks, James. But but outside of the James Bond movie, it just seems yeah. like the 80s were a cool era for uh But don't forget, this, uh, I think this movie, from what I know about it, came out at a time where James Bond was becoming irrevelant and they were trying to make it cool yeah. again. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this is the like... same era that uh, I think the first Disney movie I saw. I don't know if I mentioned it. I don't know the title in English, but something uh, Cauldron. Oh, yeah, I know you exactly know? what you're it's talking about. It's kind of yeah. it's an unknown Disney movie, and at the time there were all these cartoons like He Man and uh, uh, the heavy metal cartoons, and and uh, that were all about wizards and fantasy and dragons. And Disney was so sweet and saccharine that they had to adapt. So they made this kind of dark movie. And then I was five years old and my mom's like, okay, let's go to the movie, your first movie. And it's a Disney movie. And I was just crying the whole way through because it was so scary. <laughs> so I, I think there was one mistake that Disney made and they never promoted that movie again. Disney lost its way for a little while there, though. They also made... Um, yeah, because it, it's similar to the Bond formula. It's like they had this formula and all of a sudden it's like... The new action movies are kind of silly and with a lot of muscles. And, yeah. Uh, you have these kind of Schwarzenegger, Stallone movies that are ridiculous and not realistic. And, but you're reminding me of a really yeah. good point. It's something I've been thinking about all week. Um, just because, like, I released a, an update to our brand. And, you know, the thing is, like, I read something about this. This is at work. But about this this movie where someone said people didn't want Bond to innovate that much what worked about it was it didn't change. 
um, that it stayed the same and that this form formula, this familiarity was like a form of like repeated nostalgia. We've talked about it a yep, bit before yep. in regards to celebrity, but I think it exists in today's era in software and well, it's brand. Like mahogany bookshelves and uh, mm-hmm. a pipe and a, 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 a crystal vase with brandy in it and that that kind of thing that never goes away. Like well, who started that? Well, like who started the the library with the dark wood and the and the comfortable leather chair and and yeah. I feel like that's a lot of James Bond. But like, I think you're right in terms of the, some of the stuff comes through in brands. Like so, it would have been maybe a whiskey company that did it. I was talking to my parents earlier today. And yeah, they, well, this whole movie feels like a whiskey ad. Well, my dad was a designer. I think I've told you that before. And like my mom and him had these kittens uh, around the time of this, or actually earlier than this film. And my, one of my dad's first big clients was this company called uh, Facial Royale. And they had this bathroom tissue called Royale bathroom tissue. And it was a big, his first big break. And so he, it wasn't like crazy about doing toilet paper packaging, but he did it. And they took a photo of my, the kittens that my parents had, and they put them on the side of the package, the toilet paper package. And, um, and that became these things called the Cottonelle kittens, which I don't know mm. if is, do they have those in the US, like kittens on the toilet paper? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it became, I think, yeah, I guess it's like one of the... And in Europe, they had ads with puppies playing with toilet paper because no, it was no, so No, no, and they, they actually knew about that, too, and it didn't sell okay. as well. But anyway, but my parents were commenting on it because it's like probably one of the more famous things my dad ever did in his life. Um, and it was my mom's idea. <laughs> she likes <laughs> What to was say. your breakthrough project? <laughs> well, that, <laughs> they have, there's, and Trojan condoms, but that's a story for another day. But like, oh, and they did the Tropicana <laughs> straw and the orange. But like the the kittens thing... What's funny is they were watching an ad this week and they're like, they're still, they barely tweaked the design. Like they've just tweaked it ever so yep. slightly yep. since the 1970s when they did it. And my dad's remarking like, I had no idea in 1975 or whenever he did it, it was like that the our kitten and the exact that way idea. we rendered the text that that idea would, they would, no one would ever change it. They would only slightly adjust it for the next 40 the, years, yeah. you know? Well, that's exactly, it's the funny thing. Even if you speak to children, I was watching a movie recently and children are obsessed with what's the real, like that's not the real, like you don't have a childhood unless your dad throws a ball in a baseball glove and you're in the yard and somehow the whole system implements it. The whole system is telling us what's real and what's not real. Is Coca-Cola the the real one or is Pepsi the real one? And it's a zero-sum game. There's only one that can be the real. That's right, yeah. But it's very zero-sum when it's normative, I think, at times in ways that exclude, you know, people at the margins of that. Yeah, it's the impulse buy. It's like you're in the the grocery store and which one is the real toilet paper? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think it's dangerous when it becomes cultural because it'd be like, oh, yeah. White guys should have should be in power and have control and be able. No, to No, no, I things, know it's yeah. it's it's very dangerous, and I mm-hmm. think I'm always in, in this podcast <laughs> advocating movies that are moving away from that. Um, well, I just think Bond, this is, I, the Bond thing is just the very Bond franchise is interesting in the sense that it's it's all the tropes of like the strong male hero and the soft women and whatever. And, well, and, the women and aren't the, always soft. Like in this film, Grace Jones. No, but is but, very but badass. But my point is that the this mm-hmm. movie perpetuates the sort of uh, you're successful if you wear expensive clothes and watches and you need a, yeah. a, a flashy car and you need to stay in the best hotels and, and a woman should otherwise be conquered, you're a loser. Yeah. 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 And so this whole, the funny thing about capitalism is it that even the propaganda is profitable. Like making a movie that propagates the expensive lifestyle makes money. It's it. 
you don't have to subsidize the engine of of desire like the the engine itself is people want that lifestyle so much that they'll pay to see if you think of james bond as an ad for capitalism or normative Mm -hmm. or whatever then people will pay to see that one and a half hours. You no, don't you're even right. have yeah, to yeah. sell it to them. It's why people go to Donald Trump rallies, though, right? Like, they want to do it yeah, again. Yeah, and, and the whole yeah. movie, every Bond movie is filled with product placements. So it's... Um, it's feel good. It, it's the same with the Apple uh, keynote. Like, people will yeah. voluntarily see it. You don't make have to me, interject Make it me feel movies. that way again, the way I felt when I was young, you know? Like, I think that's what, yeah. it, what it comes down to. By the way, the next movie is called No Time to Die. They really have only barely adjusted the names of these movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A View to a Kill, but No that, Time to that Die. The thing with the, the, the real, <laughs> it plays a big role in art where it's very hard to distinguish which one is which and uh, who, who's, who's the abstract painter, who's the still life painter, who's, who's the, the activist mm. artist, who's the real activist, and which ones are the phonies. Who's pure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I always compare it to, you have the night sky, it's filled with stars, and there's too many to identify. So there's there's too many artists, there's too many brands, there's too many things, there's too many books. And then you have these constellations that sort of guide you that are similar to art movements or movie franchises. Like, oh, that's the Big Dipper. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the North Star. And then we attribute value to certain groups, but there's an infinite amount of choices. But somehow, when you package them in a logo, which is like the Big Dipper, then you're guided and then there you go. Yeah, I mean, the cynical thing we've talked about before is people want a logical progression. They want a protagonist and they want like an antagonist. And that's true of everything, right? Like, so, okay, it's like, who's going to be the next or who's going to be the anti are the two questions that people ask. And I was talking to someone about this, um, a curator friend yesterday, and I was asking her for help because I'm like, you know what? I'm done with like, the way the gallery system works, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start experimenting with self-representation and different ways of producing. And like, that's always been my brand, actually. And so why am I not fully embracing this? And she was like, yeah, but you know, like the money is oriented here and da, da, da. And I was like, I know, like none of this should work. But like, if you do break through, if you do figure it out, um, you know, you might be, you might inspire the next one, right? Because then it yeah. just becomes like, well, they're the next pioneer of this or the next da, 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 da. Someone has to, at some point, get the ball rolling in a different direction, right? For things to change. But, but it is, it, 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 I, I do think when you start listening to classical music and you don't know much, you're like, okay, yeah. I'll listen to Mozart and all the famous names. And there might be very intriguing composers that you never heard of, but how do you go through all that mountain of, of context and, uh, what is elevator music and what is great composing and well, you're, yeah i think you're you're really yeah. underselling marketing though like so the the role of the marketer and this is true for yeah like, but the, I, th- I feel like a lot of artists feel like okay if i just make great work it will find no, its place no, that's never gonna happen i can tell you so i can tell you a story about this which is like and it's a corporate story not an artist i mean it's even worse as an artist but like you know in a corporate context i worked secretly on a new version of our product for like um two or three years uh, uh, in complete secrecy. And we were terrified the whole time, like someone was going to find out because we actually released it to market and had a shadow company. You're like, oh, someone's going to connect the dots and then that's going to be it. They're going to think we've <laughs> we've lost it or whatever. In those two or three years, not only did no one, you know, figure it out, when we did finally release it, no one cared. Like, the, 
like the actual <laughs> interest in something is generated. It is never just it never just the phone never rings on its own. You have to actually, it's not an accident. You have to ask yeah. for it. Yeah, someone to to respond. So there is there is the accidental viral content and it's very rare you're, and you're yeah. very lucky if you make a mistake large enough that people well, want to I think talk we about both it. experienced that we were just playing around on the internet and uh, we got more attention than we thought we would right place right time though i think which yeah. was like yeah. no one else is but doing the example it, so there's no competition I, I do think that we we were part of a, a group so that really helps because if it's really just a million artists and the audience has to pick without any guidance yeah, like I'm stunned actually to this day when some people will attribute like, oh, you were one of the first bedroom artists or something like that. And I'm like, like, yeah. well, I'm pretty sure there were like thousands probably at the same time. I just happened to have gotten someone to write about it. Oh, yeah, there must be so many. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there were like I got in a couple books. That's why I'm going to get that attribution, right? Like, but um, or you're in a specific show by accident because you know someone uh, so much. I was watching his TED talk on. On, during the week and it was it was like so much of the world is based on incident and accident like you're in the right place at the right time and so much of our own identity is built up on this idea that we worked harder for what we achieve but that's absolutely a lie everyone is working really hard there are a few people who are not yeah. we know who they are we're looking at you we know we know you're not working right now <laughs> but everyone else is you know competing for very few spaces so it's like if you got into harvard or not Harvard raised, raises the standards, but they've raised them to a certain point where it might as well be random, right? Because like within a narrow subset of people, that narrow subset is still probably like a million people, right? And um, the chances of you getting in don't come down to whether you worked harder or not. It might just be that you know the right people, that you got the right, you know, accidental break. Um, yeah, it's very hard to know because it... When you go to big galleries and you see artwork and you're like, okay, th you can put anything in this room and it'll uh, be lifted up and uh, look precious. And then Sverner has this show in the summer where all the employees of the gallery get to show their work in a group show. Mm -hmm. And it's the same room as, as the famous artists. And then you're like, yeah, this is not as good as, even though I don't like every artist they show, like this is not as good as the regular shows. Yeah, but you like so, you, but you have to believe it, like, or at least you probably come into the yeah, show. Yeah, I mean, like, the cynical view would be like art is completely random and everything's kind of stupid. And if you just market it right, it. Becomes oh, I actually precious. believe the exact opposite. There's a lot more precious work out there than we know. Yeah, um, yeah. or a lot but more. But you, you never ideas. feel like when you see if a, a successful artist that you're like, this is a bunch of crap that was just marketed well. Well, that's like really convenient, but it's a resentment that you know at the heart of hearts you could be in that position with the right production help and the right opportunity. And so as an artist, you're like, I could be here. And you're absolutely right. You could be there. That's my whole point. Like usually when I present or perform, the audience that I have has probably been in my position, right? Like because it's usually other artists that are there and or yeah. they're probably also better than me at it. And it's like but the problem with that, you know, you have to convince yourself of the lie because otherwise you would be like, why am I doing this? Right? Like shouldn't yeah, someone yeah. else do it? And you're, you're always lecturing me about this, which is like, why do you hate yourself? And it, it that's very, it very quickly leads to that line of thinking. So I don't know, this, mm. this guy was advocating that like, what you should do is just like, take your opportunity, run with it, do incredibly well, and then help others get into that same position. Um, and that's kind of the best thing you can do. But and I kind yeah. of agree with that point. But the, the the villain in this movie is uh, not very helpful. 
No, no. I mean, the villain in this movie is a total idiot too. Like, <laughs> like at the end, the whole thing unwinds be- because of like a, some dynamite that they couldn't throw out. They couldn't throw out of the zeppelin in time, and then and then the gil- <laughs> them running into the Golden Gate and thinking that's gonna. At that point, it's really a naked gun movie. Yeah, it, that was. I mean, yeah. even the, the 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 doctor who created the villain, the the World War Two remnant <laughs> doctor, he has like a monocle, like a one. It, like yeah. that he squints with his eye. I was thinking about that. Wait, was that a thing that still existed then in style, or were they referring to some 1930s kind of eyeglasses? Well, that, exactly. <laughs> so it, what I think is funny is that this idea of the real, and like the real villain, and he was sort of a German aristocrat scientist. Mm-hmm. And at that time, in cartoons, I guess they had a monocle. So yeah. that's the real that's So the, the real movie villain, is really a cartoon. That's the real doctor. Yeah. Today yeah. this would and, be a And Pixar the same film. with... with yeah, but the same with Marvel movies. They they have live action, but they mm-hmm. are based on drawings. So they all have really weird hairstyles that like uh, are based on drawings. They're not based on human hair. And then they well, have you're to making make a good the point. human hair look like the drawings. We've somehow come to accept the Marvel movie as like the standard formula. But if you went if you brought a Marvel movie back in time to nineteen eighty five and showed it to people, they'd be like, What or have you been smoking? Like what <laughs> what is going on here? Why is that person purple? What are they <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we've descended into like, like the amount of, um, I mentioned practical effects, but post effects are so great. Like you said earlier that you don't even notice them anymore. Right. They're like, it's like you're in the wind tunnel and they're breezing by you. But I think that the reason I chose this movie is that even though you see the stunts, uh, other people than the actors and et cetera, (laughs) it still feels, you still feel a sense of danger when you watch the movie because you feel like people got hurt. And I think in the Marvel movies, you feel like everyone was in an air-conditioned room and super comfortable, and they had a massage before and after, and there was all kinds of security to make sure it was safe, and most of the things were digital anyway, and so yeah, it's, it's a different feeling. I do agree in that ski scene in the opening. It does seem like there's a real person skiing and dropping off of cliffs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if there's not any, clever, there's no clever editing. Like it's all. Did you just, see the documentary on the mountain climber that came out last year or the year before? The one where it's the guy who falls off uh, solo. It's it's the guy who uh, yeah solo where he's yeah. free form climbing. That that gave you a kind of thrill because you mm-hmm. uh, at least we believe it's real. Yeah. So is that where you're getting at? You're getting at with the real. Like now, I, it, this was the last time where. <clears throat> fantasy and reality combined in some manner that like I don't know I've kind of diluted your argument but yeah I, I think the main re- I just thought it was a fun movie like I yeah. think James Bond before and after was quite serious like James Bond in it, Sean Connery's character is at some point really sad and struggling and the James Bond now is like well I'm kind of redundant because everything's digital so why do they need a physical mm-hmm. spy I just kept thinking the yeah. movie could be about half as long. Like it was really, um, it was really long. I was thrilled yeah. for the first thirty minutes, and then I was like, "But that again could be my attention span has faded." Yeah. But I was like, it's a different another, time. another stunt, another explosion." Um, and they the sections each segment, like I said, chunk was like a little TV show. Like a, here's the car section, here's the skiing section. Yeah, at um, some point it felt like a. The San Francisco car chase scene felt really like a Dirty Harry movie. <laughs> well, I heard that they, the way they wrote the script, um, just before I got on the podcast, I was like, okay, let me look some stuff up about this movie. And I saw a little interview and the guy's like, it's interesting that when we wrote the script, what we did is we looked for locations in the world we liked. And then 
we chose the location and we wrote the story <laughs> around that. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Okay, it's, there's it's, the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. How can we make take take that into Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, there's a wedding venue down the street. You know, we can get that for half the price, and <laughs> maybe we work that in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this movie is pretty ridiculous. I, that I appreciate that. But I I don't know if you feel like the new John like well, when this new one comes out, No Time to Die, which has to. They're saying it. It's like a 2021 release. I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll so they've pushed it out. To next year, they've decided. It's well, not even I, I think this year. it was supposed to come out, and Dune was supposed to come out, and Tenet did come out. But these were all the make or break movies for the movie theater industry. So when when they decided to postpone um, No Time to Die, I think all the theaters in the U.S. just permanently closed. And it's but it's been like that's six how, years. That's how big of a deal it is. Been a movie, so that's what I mean. It's like it's pretty big that they're postponing it, right? Because they've waited six years for this thing. Yeah, um, yeah, there's a lot of probably. It's like a joke on. that you've been waiting for too long to tell, and it can only disappoint. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess. Do you like Daniel Craig? He's the new Bond. Like, uh, no, not at all. He's so serious. But everyone's saying Roger Moore's too old. But I think Don, Daniel Craig's probably the same age as him, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But too serious. But me. no one like Pierce Brosnan did they? It's like he says he was too soft. I'm not an expert in the whole franchise. I just love this one. <laughs> it's like, I'm good. Let's get into the minutia. There's like people that have, we've SEO'd yeah, our but way. The, into I, mean, I mean, the whole James Bond franchise is kind of just like Las Vegas. Oh, well, we've talked about Las Vegas. And, I mean, once you get there, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> You've yeah, been to Las Vegas, yeah. right? When I was 15, so I couldn't oh, do anything. you got to go back. To, You'll be so disappointed. I'm not sure. It's horrible. Yeah. Like, I... Yeah. I was like, I'm never going to go there. And then I was like, you know what? I'm kind of aesthetically interested. And then I got there and I was like, the aesthetic is interesting for about like 15 minutes. And then you're like, actually, this is like horrific. It's like, it's like, I want to see the car crash. And then you're like, oh my God, there's so much blood. And <laughs> I, I guess you just have to go for two hours and then just quickly go somewhere and enjoy nature because there's. Well, right outside of Las Vegas is one of the most beautiful landscapes uh, in America. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Most people yeah. don't see it. Okay, yeah. well, I don't know. Cool. I'm uh, pretty. I get to pick next week's movie. Well, but there's we a new Sofia Coppola now. film that I want to watch, so that could be the one. It's coming out on Apple TV. Um, Is it out? It comes out on, on October 30th, which is probably in time for our next. Oh, maybe not. Or no, no, sorry, not 30th. 20 at the end of this week on Friday it comes out. It, it's funny. I I had the. Last year, I bought the new iPhone, and it came with the free Apple TV subscription. I signed up for it, and then I saw the content, and I was like, "Okay, just cancel this because I didn't want it to." It's not that automatically. Bad. Several of my I didn't want it to automatically extend, TV. and then now I can't go back into it because I I said no to them once. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching yeah. a great show about riding an electric motorcycle. It's a documentary up. Uh, oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah, with the the guy from Train Spotting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty great. It's like the slowest show I've ever watched. I think you'd like it. Oh, cool! Like I think it's they like also, real time. They're releasing a new Werner Herzog documentary. They are about um, asteroids, like craters, craters. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's this Coppola film. I don't know. I'm like not promoting <laughs> Apple for any other reason. I got caught like promoting a brand that had paid me on on Twitter yesterday or something, and I was like, actually, I just think that they're doing a better job than this other company. Um, and I think it's okay in this like. In the yeah. streaming wars, we're going to pick our networks, right? I, Netflix, yeah. I'd say, is well, like... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely team Criterion. 
your team Criterion, but they're not doing any original production or they're not buying. I guess they are. Like Apple's not doing any production. They're just buying stuff, right? Like they're like, hey, Herzog, what do you got in the in the pipeline? <laughs> we'll take that. Yeah. But they are kind yeah, of picking yeah, exactly. better directors. Coppola, Herzog, like. Well, they're, they're always the high-end brand, yeah. I know, but I was surprised to see them take on like more. Yeah, I don't know. Like they're doing, they're trying to do to design for design what maybe well they, they did that that uh, jason uh momoa what's his last name oh the c but i think that was a big mistake yeah yeah exactly but i think they got burned they're like oh we'll do the next game of thrones and it turned and out so like, bad and nobody work. watched it and and then they're like oh we can get a hoodstock film for two million if they just did a network that was just all high-end design and like great directors Hello, you got me for life. All right, <laughs> like, like yeah, exactly. a, there's but no that's snob what channel. Is. Where is the snob channel? You're right, Criterion. That's Criterion. It's Criterion, right? But we need Criterion. Then we need contemporary Criterion, like new stuff. No, but they have new, new movies stuff could be Criterion. Apple. Do they? Well, we watched one. Yeah. last week. And there's the also a movie, yeah? the M U B I. Okay, you're right. But um, I'm I'm happy if Apple's like also paying people to make new stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Okay, um, yeah, enough okay. of like uh, praising the uh, world's richest company. <laughs> what we talk about? <laughs> they need our support. Yeah. yeah, they need our support. <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, yeah, I Shout don't know. Maybe maybe I will get a new iPhone. But the, the last thing I wanted to ask you is if, if you do get one, this is like, and now our bougie segment. <laughs> would yeah. you get the Max or the just the Pro? Like, would you get the Pro no, Max? No, the Mini. I'm getting the mini, but the mini doesn't have lidar, so yeah, that's the tough luck. But I love that size. So. Kristen really liked it too. I think there's a huge market for a reasonably sized phone. Um, I'm waiting for them to make the mini, but then also with a plastic plastic back, so it's not so heavy. <laughs> You're like my tiny little hands get my my European. No, hands. they they're in your pants pocket, and it's it, like I, I had the iPhone six and seven and whatever. I love that size. Yeah. No, but and I the thought other the thing glass is, back was was kind of a, it's it's double the chance of it breaking, so oh, the Apple Care yeah. price goes up, and and I don't like wireless charging. So. You know what? I haven't dropped a phone in about you know five years. I haven't had a case on this one since I bought it, and it's got glass on. Yeah, I don't have a case either. Yeah, you got to train. But yourself. I broke it a few. I've broken a few. Yeah, Kristen just broke her phone actually. And uh, yeah. she's the type of person that hates herself even more in terms of purchases. So she's like, maybe I could just get this repaired. And, and I was like, Kristen, it's four years old. Yeah, all, <laughs> all y'all who like who can afford but have broken glass fronts. Get and her the like, iPhone it. 5C. It's all plastic. Does that even exist anymore? I think the SE is. Just get it on eBay. Yeah. The SE is the lowest end one. Oh, I see. Well, I tried to give her like my eBay Android phone and she wouldn't take it. So. <laughs> Anyway, this is what All the right. podcast used to be entirely. We would just talk about phones for the next hour. Yeah, because yeah, nobody else does that. Let us know if you missed that. <laughs> yeah, like no, no one else does that. Yeah. There should be more gadget po- podcasts. But no one's talking about LiDAR, and we could do a whole thing on LiDAR because it's the... That's it's true. A, that People kind of ignored it. So, yeah, maybe I should get the pro and, and make some LiDAR apps. Well, it's just that, like, if you think about LiDAR in the history of cinema and image making the idea of depth as like another channel is one, is one that people are underestimating the importance of, I believe. Yeah. I remember seeing an interview with Herzog because he made that uh, cave painting documentary in 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Cave of it's Forgotten amazing. Dreams. Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Yeah. yeah the and he said, cave. he said when 3D is relevant to the story, it's very powerful. 
But he says in regular storytelling, we kind of go through the world two-dimensionally. He says humans have a lazy eye and you don't need 3D in a rom-com. That mm. was his argument. But I, I'm not saying that you need 3D to make a movie. Like, I'm saying that, like, you know, like, can't, you know, painters are great at, at realizing that, like, the the two-dimensional image is not really what you're doing, right? You're thinking conceptually about images in general and what can be produced. or Like, yeah. there's a concept yeah. behind it or an ideology that intersects with it that I think that we'll see things from... Um, and it's just starting, like, and every media takes, you know, starts off looking in the rearview mirror, but you'll see things that, like you did with AI and GAN, um, where, like, now it's like, oh, my God, enough with the GAN. Like, how many different, yeah. you know, GAN. But there's always, there's always the chance of uh, the, the, the magic leap sort of story where you get so excited about the possibilities, but it's actually not that interesting. The Gardner's and you get, cycle you get 2 billion in funding or whatever and everyone believes it and then you start using it and you're like, what? Why do I need this? Yeah, well, that's definitely going to happen. I mean, it'll happen for <laughs> probably 20, 30 more years. But like eventually the idea, I mean, I can't predict the future, but hey, future listeners, like 20 or 30 years from now, I think you'll laugh at the idea that like we would sit down in a single place and stare at a tiny screen Um yeah. I don't know. It doesn't make sense, I don't think, personally. But We'll see. We'll see. But maybe it does, because if you All think right. about historically. Okay, yeah, we're <laughs> let's, let's, get, yeah. let's get out of here. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. We have, yeah. It was great uh, seeing you, Jeremy, and uh, thank you for listening. Thanks, all. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. For centuries, alchemists tried to make gold from base metals. Today, we make microchips from silicon, which is common sand but far better than gold. Mm -hmm. <laughs>